0: Great job, Isabella. Thank you very much. You've been up all night. Who else has been up all night? Dan hasn't been up all night? Did you snooze your way through the night, Dan? (laughs) Most of our young people, if not all our young people, have been up here all night. Who's a lot older and you've been up half the night as well? Because it just is the way it is when you're a bit older. There's, kind of, there's nothing special about that, is there? Oh, you young people have got a lot to learn. Many of us can stay up half the night. <laughs> That's why we function the way that we do or don't. Two things as we think about um, uh, prayer together. The first is this. Do you receive on Monday the weekly prayer email from Burlington? Because you could if you don't, and you should if you don't. And the easiest way to do that is to jump on to Church Suite and it says, would you like to receive the weekly prayer email and you go, yes. Uh, Or uh, another way is just to email Mark at the office, mark at burlington.church and say, you know that thing Simon was on about, I'd like to sign up for that. And uh, you can get those. A great resource that Jonathan Barnes does for us, uh, week by week, things to pray for locally uh, in uh, in Ipswich, things specifically to pray for for us as a church that come out of perhaps things that have been going on in our life together and uh, other things wider afield, the missions and so on that we support. And in a similar way, you can also sign up for the emergency prayer email. When do you use the emergency prayer email? Gosh, you haven't been awake all night, have you? Right on the money, that's it. And you can use it in two ways, either because you sign up to receive notifications so that when there's a need, we can be reactive and proactive in praying, or uh, maybe you have a need and uh, you think it would be just great to get uh, people praying, then you can use that as well. Again, sign up in the same way. If whether you're on it or not, and you'd love us to pray for something that's kind of immediate and uh, urgent, then again, email uh, any of us, but email into the office. uh, Well, anyone you like, Mark or Simon or Katie or Claire or Kerry or or Jane, or just take your pick, find the name at Burlington.Church, and we'll make sure that all happens Uh, for you. Two weeks ago, we started a series on prayer. What did I say? Yes, mate, prayer and petitions. What about it? Good man. Look, give him a round of applause because to be honest, the rest of you didn't have a clue, did you? Let's be fair, prayer and petitions. Anything else from two weeks ago? From someone other than Matt? Was it a good sermon two weeks ago? What was the point of it then? Someone else, tell me something about it, because otherwise, right now it seems a bit pointless. Me and Matt could just meet over a nice latte somewhere and get on with it. John? Fantastic. You can come and have a latte with us as well. We're we're moving. Helen, you've looking up your notes, Helen. I can see you've got notes in one hand, but that's half a point for, it's like taking the textbook into the exam, isn't it really? But fair enough for uh, using your ingenuity. Great. Okay. So we're gathering some key thoughts that we had two weeks ago. And uh, that was just a reminder, wasn't it? Because you all knew that it was just ready to come out it's just it's always the smart people that get there first and they would just said everything that you were going to say so two big ideas okay that we're kind of working with uh as we journey through uh prayer uh together the first comes from that verse that matt was uh quoting do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God. And I was making the point or the observation that for me, and I think it's probably true of you, most of us, all of us, because we all kind of share this journey together, that most of our prayers are like the petitions. I have a list of things that I really want God to do. And it's super easy, and if I'm honest, most of my praying, if I'm left to myself, naturally focuses on the list. Who's got a list? Yeah, we've all got a list. And if we haven't got a list that we've written down, we've got a list in our heads or in our hearts that that, that comes to the fore when we think about praying and things that we need to be asking God for. Now, whatever else we're thinking about or doing as we journey together over these few weeks, don't throw your list away. Your list matters to God more than your list matters to you. We are invited not to be anxious about anything. We are invited in everything with prayers and petitions to bring our requests to God. Your list matters and we can trust God with our list and then alongside that big idea was a second big idea about prayer being a great invitation as John was saying into God's presence that if petition is the list then what's the prayer The prayer is this incredible, gigantic invitation for us to be in his presence. It's about connectivity. It's about relationship. Somehow prayer is not just the things I ask him for, but prayer is everything else that makes that relationship everything that it is. If you reduced your children's relationship with you to only the things they ask, hey wait, that's what they do. It wouldn't be the whole thing. It wouldn't be the whole deal. And we want to lean into what the whole deal is. Because actually, even if I don't mention my list to God today or tomorrow, who will forget first? I'll forget first. God will not forget those things that we have already talked to Him about. So what is prayer? Prayer is this great invitation that Jesus, these are words from Jesus just at the end of the gospel when he's praying to his father for everyone who will believe. For people like you and me in Ipswich in 2020 who will put our faith in Jesus and Jesus prays, I pray that they will be in each other, but ultimately I pray that they will be in us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a relationship that has existed beyond all time, that always has been, but is open for you and I to share in, to be part of. So, two big ideas. Not only do we make prayer then, mostly about petition, but have you noticed that, well, let me personalize it because I don't want to embarrass you. Have you noticed that, or let me tell you, sometimes my petition prayers are not quite like Jesus. Jesus said, be healed. Come out. Get up. The longest one was, I think, your sins are forgiven. He kind of got very verbose for a moment. Or get up and walk, or which is it easier? My prayers tend to be a bit longer, a bit more whiny. Please, will you, God willing, please help someone. You know what I'm talking about. They're kind of almost begging God as if somehow he's not ready and willing and involved. Somehow, if only we plead enough. And to be fair, as children, we do learn that pleading works, doesn't it? How many times have you successfully worn down your parents by a good technique of pleading? You know, sometimes the boys give it away and they go, yes! Yes! Basically means they've pleaded their way into something. They've worn us senseless with their endless whining petition. And it reminds me of the way that I pray. So I'm grateful to you for that, Joel. Thank you. (laughs) So no wonder, given my whining petitions which I guess are probably not that dissimilar to yours, or maybe to those disciples, or maybe to people who've tried to pray over the centuries, because we're all full of that sense of selfish, focused, please God, not sure you want to, not sure I'm worthy, even if you can, I'm not sure you will. All of that kind of struggle of faith that's true for humanity, that when the disciples saw something so radically different in Jesus, that he would say to blind eyes, be opened, and to a dead person, get up. What's that all about? What, what, what creates the ability for petition to be like that? Maybe it's the prayer, if we are to be people of prayer and petition. So they said to Jesus, interestingly enough, not teach us to heal, which would have made sense, or teach us to walk on water, which would have been quite fun. Actually, what they said was, teach us to, to pray, if, if we're going to in some way step into petitions like that, then we're observing that we need to pray like this as we see the life and ministry of Jesus teach us to pray. And so Jesus begins by telling them how to address God. That's where he starts. His immediate response, well, this is it. You need to say to God... Now, you would imagine being a good Jewish scholar, that Jesus would have instinctively, and he would have by training, instinctively reached into the Old Testament for an appropriate name for God. And there were lots. Jehovah, which was basically the word for Lord, the great Almighty, always or often came with with an extra kind of adjective, Jehovah Jireh, which means God will... Provide. Now that's a pretty good thing to call God if you've come in with your list of petitions because he is Jehovah Jireh, the God who promises to provide. And we could have understood if Jesus said, well, when you come to God, say Jehovah Jireh or Jehovah Rapha, God heals. That would have made sense too. Or Jehovah Rah, R-A-A-H, which, which is God, is kind of like the leader, the shepherd, God who will guide me and, uh, and make sense of my life and my journey. All of those would be perfectly great names for God, or Jehovah Shalom. God is, is peace. So there were all these old and there's loads more. And then there's a whole other bank of names beginning El something, the Almighty. So they're names for God that emphasize his greatness and his sovereignty and the fact that he's over all things. So for example, El Shaddai, the God Almighty, who's all sufficient, who has the whole kabush in his hands, or El Rohe, the God who is bigger than everything, who was before everything, who will be there after everything. He's under it. He's all around it. He transcends the whole thing. Not a bad name for God if you want your faith to rise. Or El Elohim, the supreme glorious creator God. All of those gloriously true. All of them entirely true, but none of them the entire do you see what I did there? All of them entirely true, but none of them the entire truth. The astonishing revelation that in the end got Jesus killed was that he said, when you pray, say, Our Father. They would have been utterly astonished because no one had ever talked about God like that. It's hard for us to imagine, isn't it? Because it's so easy for us, so natural for us. They never ever in fact, um Jeremiah is writing about the whole of Jewish history, he says there is not a single example of the use of Abba as an address to God in the whole of Jewish literature. What was Jesus doing? Was Jesus bringing this glorious transcendent Jehovah, Jireh, El Shaddai, El Hoim God down to our level? No, not one bit. Pray to the Father who fills heaven and earth. It was a language so personal of Abba and Imma, the very first words that a Jewish child would learn to speak, Dada, Mama. Come to God like that. Our Father who fills heaven and earth. Our Father. How can he teach those disciples to pray, Our Father? He he wasn't their father. Jesus was the only true son of God. Jesus, surely, the only one who could say, well, my father. In the same way that I can say with my brother and my sister referring to dad as our dad, you can't say of my dad, our dad because he's not your dad. Unless there's something I don't know, I'd be interested in finding out. It's worth a conversation at the end of church this morning. If... Um, I'm not going to go any further with that. My dad often listens to these on the podcast and it's not going to go well. Sorry, Dad. But, but no one else can say that. Father, Son, no one else can say he's the Father, our Father, unless with outstretched arms the Son is inviting us in to be sons and daughters Also, then we can say, Our Father. And Jesus showed. So many times that the secret of his petitions, of his prayers, flowed out of this whole life of prayer which was rooted in his connection with God the Father. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. There's this incredible connectedness between God the Son and God the Father into which you and I are invited. And maybe that's nudging us towards our understanding of why my whiny little prayers, please God help me, please, you didn't help me last week, so I hope you're going to help me this week. You haven't helped me for ages, I've still got all these things, you haven't answered, please help me. Why that posture is so far from the invitation that you and I have received to engage with God in. We see it everywhere, don't we? The way Jesus would disappear off early in the morning to be alone with his father and then we see in the busyness of the day him saying that everything that he did comes out of this relationship with his father there was somehow this ongoing connectedness that meant prayer wasn't a moment in time but prayer was the reality of all moments in time Maybe Mike Pellavacci was hinting at this when he says, I've never, I've never prayed for more than 20 minutes. Huh. But I've never gone more than 20 minutes without praying. Hmm, got you there. Hmm. I want to focus on one event in the life of Jesus that perhaps unpacks this a little bit more for us. It was a springboard into his ministry. It's one of the few events that all four Gospels talk about. So I guess that's pretty important, if all four of them. And that's the baptism of Jesus. And we see something very significant happening between Father and Son. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. You know, dads can be a bit kind of Dad-like, can't they? And then every now and again, they get super excited about something. Have you seen the dad on the football touchline who's going totally berserk about something that's going on on the pitch, either for good or for bad, which is completely out of character for the rest of their lives? Most of life. This moment. I don't know what you think God is like, but imagine just for a moment that God is just... Wombling his way through life in the heavens. At this moment, he goes wild. He rips open the heavens. That's my boy down there. And suddenly there's this booming voice and the spirit comes down. God has leapt off his celestial throne to exclaim something in all of heaven and earth about what's going on. And he pours down the Holy Spirit on Jesus and it says as the holy spirit descended on him in bodily form don't miss that like a dove and a voice came from heaven you are my son whom i love with you i am well pleased the father's touch and the father's voice the father's touch and the Father's voice. The, the Spirit came down in bodily form. This was something tangible. This was something real. This was something you could get hold of, experience, relate to, engage with. And the Father's voice. If we are to learn to pray, it needs to be our reality that we know the Father's touch and hear the Father's Voice. The Christian church has characterized itself, it's much better now, but the characterizing of itself can go a bit like this. There can be those who are really keen to hear the Father's voice, and so they study the Bible, rightly so, because they're longing to hear what the Bible says, but when it comes to experiencing God and knowing his touch, it's a bit like this. And then there are those over here, when it comes to experiencing God's touch, they're all over the place, like some totally out of control group of people, especially viewed by those people over there. And and they're too busy doing something like this to tune in to the Father. Do you see what's going on there? The Father's voice and the Father's touch. You will have a natural disposition, but the sweet spot, is not in the middle where you get a little bit of that and a little bit of that. The sweet spot is at both ends. And that's always the paradox of the Christian faith, isn't it? Jesus was fully man and fully God. He wasn't a half man and half God. We don't need a little bit of the voice and a little bit of the touch. We need all of the Father's touch and we need all of the Father's voice. And it says Jesus went forward in the power of the Holy Spirit. What do you need? We know that we all need fathers. It's not that mums aren't totally brilliant. It's just the way things are. We need fathers. And if we live without the fatherhood of God, we miss what is the profoundest or was the profoundest reality of Jesus and one of the greatest gifts he gives us. And it's easy. It's easy to live outside of God's fatherhood, even as a Christian. And the reason that it's easy is that we measure God as father instinctively by the reality of our earthly fathers. It's, it's instinctive. It's hard for us to step out of it, to get away from it. And for some of us, our earthly fathers were a wonderful blessing. For others, they were a mixed blessing. For still others, to talk in terms of our fathers being blessed towards us at all would seem to be an overstretch. So if our father was stern, it's hard to imagine God the Father being kind. Makes sense, doesn't it? Just our natural, our natural instinctive response is that, is, is that God will be stern. If our father was Pathetically passive, it's hard to imagine that God would be awake and interested and involved. If our father was absent, it's hard to think that God would ever want to be close. If our father was judgmental, it's hard to imagine that God wants to celebrate who we are as well as deal real, with sense of realness and honesty about the things that are wrong in our lives. And so living with God is it's like having a police car following you. How do you drive when a police car is following you? Because <laughs> it's not how you normally drive, is it? <laughs> Suddenly there's this huge level of anxiety in the car. What's wrong? What's wrong? There's a police car following. Mirror, signal. Yellow box, signal. 32 miles an hour, slow down, slow down. Don't want to brake too hard. Don't make it obvious. <clears throat> Why is he still following me? I've turned down that main road and he's still following me. And the sheer relief when the police car turns a different way. We think God's like that sometimes. So when someone says, quoting from the book of James, come near to God and he will come near to you, you think, "Mm, no thanks. No thanks. I could do without that level of stress in my life. We might not articulate it as clearly as that, but there's an emotional response going on in our world that goes, actually, I'm not sure I want him that close. That's like inviting a police car to follow you everywhere. Now, I know in the real world that should cause you no problem, (laughs) but it does cause us all a problem, I suspect. Well, I suspect it causes you a problem. I've never knowingly gone over the speed limit, (laughs) never knowingly entered a yellow box. In fact, what yellow box? Draw near to God? No thanks. If he's like that. If your father never embraced you or hugged you, it's hard to think that God would love to do that. Isn't it? If your uh, father never said he loved you, or spoke those ways to you, it's hard to hear the voice of the father. And the truth is, that even if our fathers were, were, were really abusive towards us something inside of all of us knows and knew that was wrong something deep down even in those desperate moments cried out within us this is not the way fathers should be in the same way that when a father was in a moment all that they could be something skipped within you that went yes that's it that's what fatherhood really is Because something deep inside the way that we were wired reminds us what true fatherhood is like and of our need and our desire for it. God is the father that we've been looking for all of our lives. But if we're not sure of that, it's easy to live as orphans. And if we live as orphans, then the very dynamism of prayer that Jesus exhibited through the Gospels is is completely missing. And it's no wonder that our petitions become so different, not only in the number of words that we use, but so different in terms of content and posture and heart. Because all of this prayer is lost. And so we just press ever more into our petitions and strive a little bit more in the hope to see some kind of breakthrough. Make sense? Could it be that adoption, the truth, the doctrine of adoption is the key that unlocks a life of prayer? He predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. If you've been adopted, I recognize, in fact collectively we recognize, that that can be really tough. Even if your adopting parents have been brilliant towards you, that that sense of being rejected by somebody somewhere your birth parents is something that's really tough to come to terms with but in another sense adoption has one incredible reality about it and that's this you were chosen you were chosen you see when your baby is born in the normal way you get what you're given you know what I mean? And they put a tag on it straight away in case you're tempted to swap it with someone else. The one with the wonky head and the ET fingers, that's yours. And there's a tag on it from day one Harris. Thanks. But when you're adopted, you're chosen. Yes. And you go, but actually, it doesn't work like that, Simon, does it really? Because they're just all babies, and no one really knows what they're like, so they can't really make an educated choice. It's, it's just, they're just choosing a baby that they feel like maybe so or maybe not. We'll delve into the psychology of that some other time. But notice what happens here. God, knowing everything about you, chose you. Everything about you. Shows you, he predestined, in other words, he knows, he's planned, he understands it all, nothing takes him by surprise to be adopted as his sons. And he didn't do it because he have to, had to. Oh, go on then. Go, I probably should, I'm God after all. Yes, I'll have that one as well. Thank you. His will and his pleasure was to choose you, you. I know it's unbelievable, isn't it? We might not have even chosen ourselves. But he chose you. According to his delight, his good pleasure, the thrill of his heart to be his sons and daughters. But we can choose, even as Christians, to live as though that were not the truth. That somehow God is putting up with us. And we've kind of got to put up with Him. Following behind like a police car. And it's a thousand miles, an epoch away. From this beautiful encounter that Jesus has with His Father. That sets the tone for the whole of His ministry. The Father's touch and the Father's voice. And because the people found it hard to get... They found it hard to really believe in the hug of heaven, a God that would wrap his arms in delight around us with all our shame and our guilt, our faults and our failings, that God would wrap his arms around us and say, I love you, I want you, I choose you, you are mine. Jesus told that story, didn't he, about the the son who'd gone far away from home and he's there in the pigsty. And the son thinks to himself, do you know what? I'm going to go back home because even the servants are treated better. So when the son came back home, his ex expectation was what? His expectation was that at best, the best he could hope for was to be a servant in his father's house. That's what it says, isn't it? That's the expectation. And what did the father do? The father wouldn't have it for an absolute moment. um, Lifting up his kind of dress in a very undignified way, ran and embraced the, the son and immediately made him gave him back, in fact he'd never really lost it if the truth be told, but reinstated him as a son. Maybe some of us have come back home, but we're still living like servants. Can you see how we could do that? I'm just, I've made a hash of things, so I'm, come, I'm back in the father's house, I've still got to prove myself, I'm just another servant along with the others, if I try a bit harder, maybe somehow my father will, will let me off for all the mess that I've made, the mistakes that I've made, and we, we live as if we're a servant. And in fact, this came home to me, just a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to put on social media, and perhaps we'll, we'll get it out on Jonathan's prayer email tomorrow, just a couple of resources this week to help us think through about the way we relate to God as Father, and how that might help unlock our prayer journey. And one of these resources helps us think about whether we're living more as an orphan, or as a son or daughter. And I recognize in reading some of those um, descriptions and, and many of you will have done this at different times uh, and seen, seen this resource and I'd encourage you to look at it again I saw how easy it was how easy it was me to slip into servant mode to, to, to behave as if I'm the servant oh I, I'm back in the family for sure but never embracing the fullness of what it means to be a son and maybe that's the work that God would do in some of us today we're back in the family for sure. But our posture can be that of a servant rather than that of a son or a daughter. A son of mine was lost but is now found, was dead, uh, but now alive. J.I. Packer. Most of you uh, perhaps have never heard of him. Those of you who have heard of him will be impressed that I should quote him. And so it's worth it just for that. I'll just slip this in at the end just to show that I read more than the (laughs) B-note. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much they make of the thought of being God's child and having God as their father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls their worship and prayers... And their whole outlook on life, it means that they do not understand Christianity very well. When you pray, say, Father. And just hear some verses of the scriptures. The other The other resource that I'll make available today is 50 Bible verses that remind us of the truth of who we are in Christ as his sons and daughters. I don't know about you, but I need that truth. Not just in my head, but in my heart. I need that truth to reorientate the way that I think. I need that truth to heal areas of brokenness and wounding in my life. Because I long, we long to hear the Father's voice and to know the Father's touch. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Daddy, Abba, Father. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. How great the love the Father has lavished upon us. That we should be called children. It says this is a gift. So receive the gift afresh. The only one who truly was a son... who is even this day the Lord and King of all, stretched out His arms on the cross so that we might become a brother and a sister. And all of that is a gift to us that we could never earn or deserve. All of it a gift of grace in our lives.